following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. I'm going to assume uh, that you're here today, at least in part, you're here today because you want to please God. Now, I understand that some of you are not here because you want to please God. You're just here, maybe because you were invited. Um, maybe it's not even on, on your radar at all to be pleasing to God, but you're, you're here. And so I would just ask you um, to kind of bear with us, to come along for the ride, to hear what it means to truly be a person that uh, pleases God or has a desire to please God. Um, but I would say that most of us in this room probably have the desire to please him in the way that we're living our life. Now, you have to imagine that if God is pleased with you, if you get this locked down, there are some incredible benefits that come as a result of that. Not the least of which is that if God is pleased, you would imagine that you would have peace in your life. If God is pleased with how you're living your life, then you you must be the kind of person that's living your life according to his purposes. And if God is pleased with you, you have to believe that you've figured out the secret to having his power in your life. Now that seems to be a tremendous number of benefits that we would have coming to us if we locked down what it really means to be pleasing to God. You really not find anything else like it anywhere on earth. If only we could be pleasing to God, live our life in that way, then we would have peace and purpose and power in our lives. And in today's passage in Luke chapter 3, as we work through Luke's gospel, we get to this chapter and we we are moving quickly toward the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And it was his intention, before he would ever go out, having spent, at this point now, Uh, 30 years on planet earth, living amongst us, living like us in every way. But it was his intention before he ever went to begin his public ministry of preaching the message that we know he's going to preach, the message about the kingdom of God. Before that would ever happen, he would lock down and make sure in every way that he was pleasing to his father. And, And seeing what he does here to get that, to make sure he has it in a very public way, it's going to be so helpful for us, for those of us that are asking the question, what do I need to do to be pleasing to God? So that is the question, what or who pleases God? You want to know about that? Well, whether you do or not, I'm going to tell you. All right, so let's, uh, let's start with the gospel. This is uh, Luke chapter 3 and bringing us to... Um, The end of the chapter, starting in verse 21, we're going to finish chapter 3 here today. Verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph. I'm not going to read through all of this, but down to verse 31, he was the son of Joseph, then he was also the son of David, and to verse 38, he was the son of Adam. Notice it says the son of 
God? We're going to look at this text together and answer that question. What does it mean to really be pleasing to God? So let's uh, bow our heads first in prayer, and then we'll start working through these verses together. Our God and Father, thank you uh, again for the opportunity that we have to be together. And uh, we want to be, God, in every way confident in our faith, confident in you. God, we want to know uh, you. We want to know we're living our lives in a way that's pleasing to you in every way. God, I pray that you would teach us during this time from your word. God, give us understanding according to your Holy Spirit in us. Draw us closer to you. Teach us. Challenge our thinking. Encourage us. Uh, Father, we pray. We need all of this from your word. And so speak to us in these moments. Uh, Father, these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, what or who pleases God? Before we get to that, let me give you uh, two disclaimers on today's message. Disclaimer uh, number one, uh, we have to work through what we're going to look at here, uh, thinking about Jesus Christ and his humanity. And if we can uh, lock down what we actually believe about Christ, we know that uh, he is fully God and also fully, he's both. He's both. He's the only one who, who ever has been that. It's very unique, but the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is fully God and fully man. But in this particular passage, what we really want to see about Christ is his humanity, and that's what's going to be most helpful to us. Jesus Christ, in his humanity, is seeking the pleasure of God on his life. And there's a ton for us to see in all of that as a result. Second disclaimer, um, this message, if you are here and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this message is not precisely for you. I would hope, and it's already been prayed, I would hope that you would come into a relationship with Jesus Christ as a result of being here today. But this message here today is actually for those who are already followers of Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because we're talking about pleasing God, and we can't have it in our minds that we can somehow please God enough to save us. That's false doctrine. We cannot please God enough to save us. And so what we're looking for here is not salvation, but the after salvation, a pleasure of God, his, his power, his anointing, his special presence with us. That's the thing that we're looking here. And you have to be a follower of Christ to have that. And, and so I would pray um, that if you have not already, that you would receive. I mean, if you're not a follower of Christ, the way that you could please God right now is simply by taking the free gift of salvation that, he's, that he offers you. It's a gift of grace. You can't earn it in any way. You, you don't deserve it but he's ready to give it to you. And it would please God so much in this moment if you would receive that and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's your play if you're not yet a follower. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, hey, listen, the rest of this is for you. So what or who pleases God? Let's talk first about obedience. I do what God says to do. It's amazing how much parents understand the concept of obedience with regard to their children and how little adults can understand the concept of obedience with regard to the father. Nodding your heads? A little bit? A lot? You get it? Um, obedience seems simple enough, but obeying, uh, obeying God is, uh, seems to me such a struggle. And I think the reason why some people don't read their Bibles as often as they should or maybe ever. And the, the reason why some people don't want to come to church and hear preaching 
uh, is because they don't want to hear what they might have to do. They don't want to hear what the Lord might have to say to them, and they don't want to change the thing that God might put in front of them to change. And um, if it's your plan to kind of avoid all of this, and if I don't hear it, then I'm not responsible uh, for it. If that's your plan, then I'm just going to say to you today, you made a strategic error in being here. Because now you are responsible. Any uh, Latin people in the crowd? Any Latin? You, You know Latin? Anybody... Nobody knows Latin. What are our high schools teaching anymore? Okay, we've got one seven-year-old over here who thinks he knows Latin. <laughs> Little Latin phrase up here. Um, somebody's going to tell me what it is in a minute. Ignorantia juris non excusat. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse, correct? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. That's a, a pretty universal principle when it comes to judicial matters outside of the church but please understand that in terms of our relationship with jesus christ with our god uh, it's exactly the same ignorance of what god says concerning obedience is no excuse in fact do you want a reference on this romans 121 it simply says this if you want to study this out on your own it simply says uh, they are without excuse we are all without excuse just from seeing the creation itself. That's the context of Romans 1. We have enough information because the sun came up today to know that there's a God. And so we are without excuse. And so Christ followers are pleasing to God when they stop excusing their behavior and obey him. And we look no further than Jesus to see that he obeyed. Check it out again, verse 21, when all the people were baptized, so this is John the Baptist, the story's kind of shifted now, the emphasis goes away from the narrative about John, and uh, now we're just kind of reflecting back on that, but John had baptized everybody there was to baptize, everybody who had came to him heard the message and repented, and then it says, and when Jesus also had been baptized, we don't really have a whole lot more information about that here, Matthew has a little bit more in his gospel, when Jesus also had been baptized... It's curious to me that Jesus was baptized. I mean, do you think about this? This was a baptism. Earlier in chapter 3, we learned this. This was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why in the world was Jesus baptized? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Did Jesus need to repent? Answer? No. No, he did not. There was nothing he needed to agree with God about and nothing he needed to turn away from because he already agreed fully with God and he was already walking completely in the way of righteousness. Were there any sins that Jesus committed that needed to be forgiven? Answer, no, there were not. He was completely sinless, completely righteous. Jesus didn't need to repent. He didn't need to be forgiven. So what's going on here? Why is he being baptized? And the Matthew account of this, Matthew 3, you can read this later, Matthew 3, 14 and 15, uh, Jesus comes down to be baptized, and you might remember the conversation. John knows exactly who this is. He knows that this is the Messiah. He knows that this is the one that he's been working to prepare the ground for. And Jesus comes down to him and says, I want to be baptized too. And John goes, hang on a second, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says to him this, let it be so now. Let's do it this way for now. Okay, that's what he says. To fulfill all 
righteousness. In other words, this is the order of things. This is the way it needs to happen. I need to be baptized at this point. And we could ask a lot of questions about, again, what's the purpose and what does it mean when we say to fulfill all righteousness? Was this to vindicate John's ministry? Was it to make sure that Jesus had kind of jumped through all the hoops that were necessary? I think it's a lot bigger than that, actually. It served a greater purpose, a future purpose. In some ways, it's Jesus being baptized in advance for what was going to happen in the years to come. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says about it. This is the Apostle Paul. He writes, for our sake... He, that is the Father, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus said, I got baptized to fulfill all righteousness, to bring you and me to righteousness. Jesus needed to go to the cross, give his life, shed his blood, die there. And pay the penalty for our sins. That was fulfilling all righteousness. That was to ensure that you and I could become righteous. The righteousness of God. So he needed to be obedient to baptism. I got another verse for you. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. There Paul says this. Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of death. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became obedient. To fulfill the mission that God had laid out for him, he had to become obedient to God, to give his life. And so Jesus was baptized for our repentance. He was baptized for our forgiveness of sins. And he obeyed God in order to fulfill the mission that God had given him to do. Now, I know that obedience, I, personal testimony, I know obedience is not easy. I know it's not. Anybody else think that obedience is pretty hard? Just vote with me right now. The rest of you are having trouble obeying just to be in that small thing and showing that you too struggle with obedience. We all do. If we're honest about it, we all struggle at this point. And so we ask, was it easy for Jesus? And you see him later in the Gospels, even struggling with his own calling. And as the weight and burden of sin is coming upon him at Gethsemane, and he's praying and he's saying to the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. There's a temptation happening in that moment even. Next week, we're looking at the temptation. Please don't think that those were the only three times that Jesus faced temptation. In the garden, he faced it just before he's ready to go and give his life. If it's possible, Father, let this cup pass for me. Jesus found it difficult to be obedient. And he was sinless. Much harder for us. How did Jesus then be so obedient? How did he overcome his fleshly, sinful, human temptations? The text has the answer. Look at verse 21 again. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also had been baptized and was. And was. He was praying. He was praying. 
the heavens were open to him. He was praying. He prays himself into this obedience. And we're going to see throughout the gospel as we continue to study it over the next several years, how, how much prayer undergirds everything Jesus does. His sense of peace, his sense of purpose, the power that he has in his life all come as a result of the fact that he's a praying person, that he connects with the Father in prayer. Willing obedience to God will escape us apart from prayerful intimacy with God. What's God telling you to do? If you want to please Him, then obey Him. If you want to obey Him, get intimate with Him in prayer. Secondly, let's talk about this identity. I know who I am. I know who I am. Not in the sense that I can pull out my wallet and look at my driver's license and know who I am. Hopefully we've got that all nailed. Uh, but... Um, this is I, my identity, my sense of belonging in this world. Where, where do I belong? Who exactly am I? We have in uh, verse 22 now, a God is essential character and the Holy Spirit, the heavens were opened after his prayer, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, like a dove. English class, this is called a, a simile. Thank you. This is a simile. It means that he didn't come down as an actual dove, despite all those Christian logos that are out there in all those churches and agencies, he didn't come down as an actual dove. He came down in bodily form as a dove, like a dove in a, I guess, kind of a gentle floating, just coming down kind of way uh, to uh, fill the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descending on him in bodily form like a dove. Jesus' obedience... And his earnest prayers to the Father resulted in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in his life. And you get a sense here, this whole thing is about God. I mean, that ought to seem obvious to us, but I think a lot of us are here at church today for us. I like coming to church because I like to see my friends. I like coming to church because I like the music. I like how I feel after. I, I like it. I like it. It's nice. I feel good. I learn more. And, and, and in all of that, none of those seem to be bad things. I love it that you connect with people you love. I, I love that you enjoy the music. I love that you're interested in hearing the preaching of God's word. All of that is great, but please understand that it's not about you. It's only about those things helping you bring greater glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not here today for ourselves, though we get a benefit from it. We're here to exalt his holy name. And everything in this text that we're looking at today, everything about it is zeroed in on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord. And as the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus Christ, Jesus' whole identity is being tied inextricably, you can't break it, to the Father and to the Spirit. You have a great picture of the Trinity here intervening in our world. And we can say this with the highest level of confidence. Jesus knew who he was. He didn't waver in that at all. He knew he was God's Son. And the voice from heaven that we see here in verse 22 affirms it. Notice what he 
says what the Father says, this voice says, this is my beloved Son. That's who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And knowing that unleashed the power of God in his life. Being completely confident of that allowed God to work in him in an extraordinary way. And when you know who you are, that pleases God. Do you know who you are? You see, a lot of people are struggling with this. Maybe, maybe three different kinds of people struggling with the idea of who they are. The first person, um, I don't know what God has said about me. I, I don't know. I don't know who I am. Please tell me. Maybe the second person is the person who says, I know what he says about me. It just doesn't matter to me. I know who he says I am, but I'm going to continue doing things my way. The first person is just, in a respectful use of this word, he's just ignorant. He just doesn't know. The second person, though, has rebellion in their heart. And they're resisting, though they know. And then there's the third person. They know who they are in Christ. They've heard all the sermons. They've read the Bible for themselves. They get it. They know they're a son or daughter of the king, but... They're just so discouraged and so weighed down that what they could really use right now is just some encouragement from the Lord, some blessing from him to be reminded. Once again, under the weight of whatever life is throwing at them right now. Listen, child, this is who you are. I'm your father and I've got, I've got your life in my hands. and You need not worry or be anxious about anything. See, for the number one people, the people who just don't know, can I just say this? If you have repented and found uh, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to him, understanding that he died on the cross for you, then you are a child of the king and nothing can change that. Your sins have removed, been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. They are forgotten. And God says, I'll never bring them up to your charge again. That's who you are. And so you can walk through this life if you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. You can go through whatever circumstances life happened to throw at you. You can go through that with confidence knowing no matter what else happens, I belong to Jesus Christ. He holds me. Nothing uh, will ever take that away from me. Uh, that's who you are. Your destiny is set. You are secure if you're a number two person, rebellious, then it's time for you to believe what you already know to be true. And uh, there's a big repentance that comes the first time you come uh, to, be, to, to follow Jesus Christ. But then there's all those little repentances that have to happen as you follow Jesus and working out all kinds of things. And if you're in a place right now where you're a follower of Christ, but you're kind of off the track a little bit, then you need to agree with God and turn from that and get back on the road. And start following him again. And believe what he says about you. And for those who need encouragement, just trust him. Don't quit. Just endure. Persevere to the end. Remind yourself again from God's word of his assurances and his love for you. Spend some time in the Psalms and uh, pray and cry out to the Lord. And he'll bring that encouragement to you. And for all of us, I would just say this. If we want the power to resist temptation then we're going to remind ourselves of who we are. If we want 
to boldly share the word with other people, if we want to be on mission and, and inviting other people to come and see and part of what we're doing here, introducing them to Jesus Christ, then we need to know who we are before we can introduce anyone else to God. If we want to stand against those who oppose our faith, if we want to sacrifice and show compassion to those who live on the margins of our society, in all of these things, we must obey Christ, be constant in prayer, find his power, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he'll give us the strength to do all of this and more because one reason alone, because we are his child. Our identity is set. We know who we are. And then this, obedience, identity, and now security. I know, I know that I am loved. See, the way that we become secure is acknowledging the love of God in our life. Now, notice that the voice called Jesus, again to verse 22, we're just working through this one phrase. You are my, what kind of son? Beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. The father publicly told his son that he loved him. I hope those of you who are married, I hope that it is a matter of public record of your love for your spouse. I hope that for those of you who are married, in your home, your children, hear you say this to one another, husbands and wives, I love you. I hope that there are, beyond the words, that there are, Uh, physical displays of affection in front of your children that people know that you love one another. I hope once in a while, in fact, that your children even go scurrying from the room. (laughs) As happens from time to time in our family. I hope that it's obvious to people that there is a love for one another. And I hope that that is not just in your marriage, but I hope you're saying it to your children. I hope your children are saying it to you. I hope that the public affirmation, the out loud words that need to be spoken are being spoken so that we are all on the record having loved each other. And that's exactly what's going on here. God's going on the record. This is my son. He's my beloved son. I love him. I love him. This is the primary way any of us feel security, as I said, is knowing that we're loved. Love truly overcomes any circumstance that we could ever go through. Anything we ever find ourselves in, it it wouldn't matter how deep the struggle is. Many people in this room, you've been through very deep water, some of them relational upsets, some of them physical ailments, some of them prolonged periods of unemployment and financial stresses. And at the end of the day, no matter what the circumstance is, if we know there are some people who love us, we know we can make it through. Is that true? Anybody who's ever been through a difficult season, just knowing they love me, I can make it through this. 
And God gives us each other for that very reason. And, and so, no matter the circumstance we find ourselves in, our security, the fact that I feel like everything's going to be okay, is based not on the circumstances changing, but on the fact that I'm loved. Many of us struggle here because we let our circumstances determine whether or not we feel or know that we're loved rather than the far more objective statement of God. Let me say to you, loved ones right now, whatever you're going through, and I don't know all of your circumstances, what you're facing right now in your life, but I can I tell you right now, as we say at the end of every service, you are loved. You are loved. God loves you. No matter what you're going through, no matter how desperate you think it might be, no matter how hopeless, can I tell you that God loves you? God wants the best for you. He wants to pour out blessing on your life such as you've never experienced before. God loves you. Beyond any circumstance you might be facing. I told this story many years ago in a message It's still the most powerful account I've ever heard of someone knowing they were loved by God in the face of the most horrendous of circumstances. I'm going to read it to you so that you hear it Um, clearly. In the wake of the Rwandan Civil War, uh, Franklin Graham was doing relief work in that country with his organization Samaritan's Purse. While crossing the border near Uganda, he noticed a little Rwandan girl, maybe 12 years old, sitting in the back of a pickup truck with a a blanket wrapped around her. She was otherwise naked. As she rocked back and forth and sang quietly to herself, Franklin went over and found out she was one of the really tens of thousands of war orphans And she, like so many others, had seen every member of her family hacked to death by machetes. She was now alone in the world, having no family, no possessions, not even clothing, no home. As Franklin approached her, he heard her singing these words. We, Jésus m'aime. Car la Bible me le dit. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Left with nothing. Did nothing. Except the love of God. It was enough. Her circumstances as desperate as they could possibly possibly get. She clung to the one truth that she knew. That God had assured her of. She was loved. I don't know how you get there. When I think about how spoiled I am. And, and how much abundance I have. And, 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 and all the blessing God's poured out on me. And I can whine and I can complain as well as anyone else about what else I want and what else would make me feel secure. The reality is if it were all taken away, if it were all stripped away, could I sing? Yes, Jesus loves me. 
this Rwandan girl's teaching us, it's enough. It's enough that Jesus loves me. Are you secure in knowing that no matter what, you're loved when you live that way? When you have that security that no matter what else is going on around you, you know that God loves you. God's pleased with that. He's pleased that we live in that manner, receiving the love that he's offering to us. God loves that. Ready for the fourth one? The voice then said finally to Jesus, again, right at the end of verse 22, with you I am well pleased. And this is really the thread for this whole message, but this speaks to affirmation and really just hearing his encouragement. Now, I know that this is going to sound a bit odd right now, but maybe you could jot this down. God is pleased with me when I live like I know he's pleased with me. God is pleased with me when I live like I know he's pleased with me. You see, God wants you to be encouraged and affirmed in what you do for him and how you live for him. And Jesus could confidently, and he was confidently heading into his public ministry of preaching the good news because he knew that what he had done was pleasing to God. He knew he had the pleasure of God. He knew he had God's approval. And when we're wrestling with whether or not God is pleased, I just don't know if God is happy with me. I I don't know if God is pleased with me. I don't know if I have his approval in my life. It's often because we've made choices that have left him out of the equation. Because we've excluded him from our life. And we've just gone on living kind of our part of it. Even even kind of, we've been like... um, well, I know I'm a follower of Christ. I know I'm kind of living for him, but we segment that a little bit and we have different compartments and there's the Christian part and living for him and then there's all the other parts of my life and we push God out. So we've made choices that have left him out. We lose the sense that God is really with us. We might have it right now. We're with God's people. Maybe you have it when you're with your small group, but when you're back in your home and that's not always the best situation and and there can be stress there and you just go like, "I, I just don't feel like God's not here right now. I feel like I don't have his approval in my home. Or you get into your workplace and you go, I feel like such a great Christ follower when I'm with my small group, but I I get to work and it's such a different situation for me and I, I feel like I don't have God's pleasure when I'm at work. And by the way, I've got to believe that that's not God's problem. You agree with me on that? I believe that if we have any sense of segmentation in our life, any sense that God is not with us in the full scope of who we are as, as, his, as his sons and daughters, then I really believe that's got to be my fault, not his. That clearly I'm the one who's made some decisions here that have, that have created this scenario. Jesus had done everything God had set out for him to do. God was pleased with that. And so Jesus heard this with you. I'm well pleased. Don't you want to hear that from God? Don't you want to hear that? Do you want to hear God say to you? Like right now, not waiting for the end day. Because I know there's a day coming at the, at, the, at the judgment seat when God separates the sheep and the goats. And he gets uh, kind of all of us who are sheep, those who are truly believers. He gets us. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I am really jazzed about hearing that then. Right? 
Is it wrong of me to want it now? We should want that now. I want to know that I'm living my life for Jesus Christ right now. That he's pleased with me right now. That he's pleased with me on Monday morning. That he's pleased with me on Wednesday night. That he's pleased with me throughout my entire week, no matter where I am and what I'm doing. That God's pleasure is on my life. Jesus got it before the final day. I should aspire for the same. I want the affirmation. I want to hear his encouragement. I want to please God by living like I know he's pleased with me and he is. I'm speaking to those who, for the most part, are doing their very best to live the life of a Christ follower. You know, you're worshiping Christ, you're walking with Christ, you're working for Christ. Those things are important to you. And I want to say to you, if you're doing all of that and you're really seeing it, I want to, I want to help you right now to be encouraged. That if you're doing all that as best you can and you're pouring yourself out for the ministry, not perfectly because none of us have got it nailed here. But if you're really trying to live for him, I, I just want to encourage you. I, I want to bless you to, to say, stop striving. Stop working so hard for something that you already have, that God has already put on you if, if you're seeking to live for him. Because some people are just so hard on themselves in an unnatural way, an ungodly way. I mean, we make wrong assessments all the time of what it means to be successful in God's eyes. I speak to pastors about this. In fact, I've had opportunities to speak at retreats and, and to, our, to our association of pastors to tell them what constitutes real success in ministry. Because so often the pastor who's not building the church that's huge and not going to multiple services and not, not building beautiful buildings and not planting all kinds of churches and the pastor who's just, he's just struggling along. He's got 140 people and he's just trying to make it work and he can really wrestle. Am I successful? Is God pleased with me? Why isn't it happening for me? Why is this church a thousand people and mine's only a hundred? It's not necessarily because he's displeasing to God. He could be very pleasing to God. That applies no less to any of us. How do we measure success? Forget pastor to pastor. How about just person to person? How about just right here in the church? We compare ourselves to each other. And how successful we might think we are in God's eyes next to the person beside us. See, it's not measured in the standard ways that our society measures such things. We measure it in wealth. That person seems to be more successful than me. They have more money than me. They, they're more successful in business. They're, they're a person with more status. They, they, they seem to have the favor of people more. They have uh, more fame, if you will, or influence or power in people's lives. And we use all of these measures to kind of uh, rank ourselves next to other people to see, well, that person just must, because they have more blessing, they must be more pleasing to God than I am. Well, why isn't God blessing me the way that he's blessing another person? Anybody ever ask that question? It's not even in all the material things, just even in health. Why is that person more healthy than me? I, I eat right and I exercise. I'm not talking about myself now in those things. <laughs> that would be a false testimony. But even in physical things, why are they more healthy than me? Why, did, why are they 
Why am I so sick all the time? Is it because God's displeased with me? No, not necessarily. It's not in promotions or the number of friends or the neighborhood or the car you drive. All of these things can be blessings from God. We ought to acknowledge them as such. But they're not, listen, they are not and they are never the measure of God's pleasure with us. Here's a great rule. God, in a method that seems rather arbitrary to us, God decides who gets what. Okay? God decides who gets what. What we decide is what we're going to do with what God gave us. And that's the only thing God holds us to account for. That you would be faithful with the things that God has entrusted to you. The measure of success, God's pleasure with us, then is according to our use of what we've been given. Back to Jesus. Not successful in the eyes of the world. Died around 33 years of age. A horrible criminal's death. Grew up in a small town in Nazareth just to, to a carpenter. He was poor. You can tell that by the offerings his parents gave when they went to the temple. Not really famous. When he did become famous, he ended up getting dead for it. I mean, I mean, Jesus, by the standards of this world, is not successful at all. But he was faithful with the thing that God had given to him to do. He was given a mission to accomplish in this world. And the only thing God was holding him to account for was what he had given him. That's what God's holding you to account for. And so you need to be encouraged. God's affirmation of us is based on what he's ordained for us. So you should today, if you've got this locked down, this is who I am, these are my gifts, this is where I serve. I've got it all kind of laid out here. Um, I feel affirmed in that and thank you God for uh, bringing that about in my life and, and I'm encouraged God uh, by you just to live my life for you in a way that's faithful to these things. Finally this, let's talk about purpose. I know why I'm here. The genealogy from verses 23 through 38 says quite a bit about Jesus. And of course, we're not going to read through all of these names. And the genealogy here in Luke especially is filled with many unknown names. I love what one commentator said about this, that... um, All of these unknown people had no idea the role they were playing in redemptive history. They're just living their lives in complete obscurity. And the only thing we know about them is they're in this line, the line of David, the line of Jesus Christ. It's all we know about them. Their purpose was simply to live and die and have one particular son who would be in the line of the kings of Israel. That's it. And yet they served their purpose. There's so much that's in this, but primary among them, let me just point out a couple of uh, primary takeaways here. First of all, uh, Jesus was of the line of King David. This was so important to establish him as the Messiah. And so you have this, um, um, the end of verse, uh, verse 23 says, when he began his ministry, he's about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed of Joseph. Why, Why do we have that little as it was supposed thing? Because he was born of a virgin, correct? So Joseph was not um, 
uh, the biological father, but he was, in fact, the legal father. And so we have the line of David being traced uh, here, um, at least with David and uh, with Joseph. And so we have his father. And then you go all the way through where I read down in the end of verse uh, 31, you see that uh, through the son uh, of David called Nathan, uh, that was David's uh, lesser known son, and then David himself establishing the Davidic line. And then the line continues all the way uh, through Abraham, through Shem and Noah and Methuselah and Enoch, all the way, verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, the son of Adam, who was directly the son of God. And so uh, the first thing is that Jesus is of the kingly line of David. So he has a claim to be the Messiah or the Savior of the world. The second thing, and this is uh, in contrast to the genealogy that's in Matthew, is it goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, Matthew's genealogy only goes back as far as Abraham. Matthew was writing to the Jews. Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, non-Jewish audience. And so it was really important to say, Jesus is the Savior of the entire world, not just of the Jews. And so we're going all the way back to Adam to let you see that this is about all of humanity receiving this message. And Jesus knew he was coming to be the Messiah. He knew his mission. He knew his purpose. And would surprise you to hear that Jesus said his primary purpose was to preach the good news. To preach the same message that John the Baptist preached. John's message was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus preached the same message of repentance and forgiveness. And if you go all the way to the end of Luke's Gospels. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 47. We're going to see that we need to spend our lives glorifying God. Pleasing Him. By carrying on this same mission. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. He's now saying that to us. John preached it. Jesus preached it. This is our message. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. And preaching it everywhere. Throughout Canada, the United States. In places like Scotland and Romania. In Cameroon. In Nepal. In India, wherever God would give us opportunity, we'll preach the good news of Jesus Christ. No matter what else you do in life, whatever your job is, moms and dads, teenagers, factory workers and office workers, male and female, young and old, whatever, whatever God has given to you, whatever you think your purpose is, Let me tell you this first. Your purpose is to glorify God through the proclamation of the message of repentance and forgiveness. To let the world know. Whatever else you do, it has to fit with that. That is our purpose in this world if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I hope you're sure of that. I hope you know why you're here. I hope you know what your purpose is and that that's the thing that pleases Him. I hope you understand That in every respect, this passage tells us that it's all about Jesus Christ and his glory. Amen? That's what it's about. And so I love that song we did just before um, I got up here to speak God's word. Because it tells me to think about the Lord. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me. 
how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. It makes me want to shout, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? All right, so I think what I'll do is I'll pray, and when I pray, a worship team will appear behind me, and we'll sing that song again. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for what we've heard from your word here today. And I pray that we would be able to live with these assurances that we are well-pleasing to you. And not in any small way because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have, Father. I thank you for saving us. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for making us your sons and daughters and giving us the assurance that we have, that we are yours no matter what the circumstances of our life is. God, I would pray for those in the room who don't yet know you as Savior. I pray that God, in the hearing of this word, they would make a decision today that would alter the course of their life for all eternity. That they would turn themselves over, confessing their own sin, not anybody else's, their own, and calling out to you to save them. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer. Hear us now as we lift our voices in worship. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.